From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Zach, man, Super Bowl, you know, what'd you drink? Oh my God. Uh, well, I'm going to be completely honest and say I watched exactly zero seconds of the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I will say I, my, my approach to the Super Bowl lately when I haven't had much of a rooting interest is uh, I kind of monitor the score. And then if it's like, seems like it's a close game, I'll sort of tune in later. That obviously was not the case this year. So definitely just was like, well, uh, I'm going to do something else with my time. And uh, what I don't know if I drank during the Super Bowl, but I will tell you the thing that I drank lately, and, and I know you will appreciate this in particular, Adam. Uh, so I taught a class on Greek wine last this past week. I saw that, yeah, yeah, and and I know it's always been a favorite, but uh, and I'd had it before, but uh, I had the Zeno Mavro from Alpha Estate, um, and I know I think not this specific one, but one of the other one of their other bottlings was uh, was the number one wine of the year for twenty twenty. Totally, Pair. so uh, definitely a, a heavy recommend for me as well. Just love the variety, love the the style, um, and yeah, it just was delicious um and i made we got some uh some greek takeout was delightful i was a very happy man how about you so first of all i need some more xeno mavro in my life so if you are a uh a xeno mavro producer and you listen to this podcast or you have access to xeno mavro i'm happy to send you and you my and zach's addresses yeah uh just email us at podcast at vinepair.com uh so it's really funny actually that you mentioned xeno mavro because i also had it this weekend Ugh. But I had it early. I had it on Saturday, uh-huh. uh, and then did Super Bowl on Sunday. So on Saturday, I did like a. So I think I've talked about her before, but Lena is like my my wife and my best friend, um, and she's Greek and like born in Athens. Now obviously lives in the United States, and she took us to this amazing Greek market a few weeks ago in Astoria, where like again it is amazing, man. Like if you don't shop at ethnic ethnic markets. You got to go because first of all, the prices are so much better <laughs> than yeah. like, it's funny. Like we, you know, they had like these amazing, you know, phyllo, uh, spanakopita and, and phyllo pastries and things like that all frozen that you can bake really easily all made in Greece. And I, you know, I was talking about how you can buy this at Trader Joe's too, but even at Trader Joe's where we think of as being like super affordable, it's like five ninety nine, and this is like three ninety nine. dollars <laughs> you know, just like I got an amazing, huge, like five liter, like jug of amazing olive oil. I got like cool. just all this cool stuff. So I'd gotten some feta and halloumi and things like that. Um, and so made like, uh, my version of like sort of, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's bad, but I tried, I tried, uh, to make like souvlaki. So, uh-huh. Uh, and then, and then had a Xenomavro, which was delicious. Uh, and then on Sunday, and I had the, I had the Alpha State one because I just have, I happened to have the, the second bottle. Um, <laughs> like we, we sort of all fought over. <laughs> Somehow it. ended up in your, in yeah. Your well, when we, when we did the big tasting and we have the, we had the second bottles, uh, left over, we all sort of like drew straws and I just pulled the like, I'm uh-huh. taking this one. Um, <laughs> but so, so that, that was, that was really delicious. And then this week on, for Sunday, I went to the, the grocery store and I think, I saw Industrial Arts Wrench, which was one of our top beers a few years ago, and it's been a while since I had it. And so I bought a four pack of that, and uh, and I had two of those during the game because it feels like I don't know for me it feels like that's what you're supposed to drink is beer. Uh, yeah. I know I know that wine is on the upswing, and like they're showing every single year, right? Wine eats more and more into beer sort of stranglehold of of consumption during the Super Bowl. But it was it was a I forgot how good the beer was. And it's funny that that's, that happens so often in beer where like just because there's so much and, you know, as we talked about before, 
there's just become it's become easier and easier to get these beers uh, as you know these breweries are realizing that they have excess capacity and they need to dump onto the market and stuff like that. I just don't seem to have a go to anymore like I used to. Like wrench used to be like if I saw a wrench, that's what I grabbed. Yeah. I think it was like three or four years ago. Now it's like oh, well, I also see these other amazing you know breweries and I'm gonna get these too. So it's it was it was cool to have it again and and remember that like it is so delicious. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But now you know. Taking a dry week. I have a ch- tangential question for you on this that yes. just occurred to me. So I'm wondering, you know, one thing that I think we've seen when we've talked about um, beer and hard seltzer and their sort of overlap and, and point of comparison is that they're to some extent definitely pulling from some of the same audience. But one thing that, you know, we've talked about when we've talked about seltzer before is, is a big selling point for seltzer is the mixed case, right? Like the people, people shop for those more than they shop for yep. anything else. I mean, I remember being struck when we were doing some uh, in some next round interviews earlier that like, you know, mixed cases were the things that were flying off store shelves mm-hmm. uh, more than anything else. But with the exception of some of the big breweries, like Sam Adams does this, and I'm sure some others where they, where you can buy a mixed case of their beers. I remain surprised that, that some of these smaller producers are not sort of putting their four packs or six packs together with, you know, what you know two 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 or you know four different beers because i think that like what you're talking about is is had been a a thing in craft beer that people had their favorite beer and they just bought that but i think for so many people and for me especially a thing that we're missing in this period of time and and in you know sort of making it more difficult to go to tap rooms and try things is like is that exploration and discovery and it surprises me that we don't see more of those you know, mixed packs out in the wild. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe they're out there and I'm just not seeing them. But it's something I keep an eye out for when I go to the grocery store um, or even go to, you know, even when you go to breweries for me, when I go to the breweries near me, you know, sometimes if I say, hey, I want, you know, can I get, you know, four different, you know, 16 ounce cans, they'll do it. But it's not always the case that they want to sell stuff individually. And I just, I'm kind of not sure why. Yeah, I actually, it makes a lot of, like, what you're saying, I hadn't thought about. I'm like, yeah, why don't they do this? Like, you know, and I get that the the four pack has become like the the thing, the trendy thing. And I wish, I like to have at least two of each beer. Just I'm like, if I like it, I would like to return to it and be like, oh, I really like this. I'll have it. I'll have one more. But I feel like a lot of these breweries should go to, if they want to keep their big cans, that's fine. But stick with like, go to a six pack and do two, two, two. And like, let me have three different variations of your crazy hazies or three different variations of your pilsners or whatever. Um, I think that that would make a lot of sense because you're right. Like that's why, that's why the mixed case does so well with seltzer. I mean, look, everyone says they have a favorite flavor and they drink that first. And then they're like, Oh, I got like so many black cherry that I just sit in the back of the refrigerator. But for the most part, like the other reason that it's successful is because the hard seltzer, you know, you know, producers know that people are usually consuming these with with other uh with friends and so like mm-hmm. you have flavor options for people as opposed to being like i like grapefruit so i'm gonna buy a case of grapefruit and then my friends come over and like oh i'm really like a you know i'm a i don't know cherry drinker or black you know black cherry or whatever or blackberry and then all of a sudden you're like oh sorry dude <laughs> like, I, didn't, <laughs> I don't have that flavor for you so yeah i i wonder if that would be smart because you see that a lot early days craft beer you saw that a lot right the big yeah. the big craft breweries would do these mixed cases i remember like always getting like the sweet water one that was like you know it had like three of their classic ipa three of their 420 three of their like sweet water blue and i think three of their like their brown ale 
right? Yeah. And like it was great because you you got to like know the brewery across the board. Uh, whereas now I feel like people get like stuck on like one style. But I also think a lot of breweries are mostly doing one style. A lot, at least a lot of them are, right? Like they they'll try to do other things, but they're really known for one thing. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know anyone that knows other half for anything other than hazy IPAs. I know they do other beers, but like, that's what they're known for. Um, that's definitely very different than, than what it used to be early days craft beer for sure. True. Where, yeah, you just had fewer breweries. So they kind of all felt compelled to make a range of beers. And if you wanted a craft beer, you wanted a craft Pilsner, you were likely to get it from the same brewery as your exactly. craft IPA. As exactly. opposed to now where you might have a favorite craft Pilsner brewery and a favorite craft IPA brewery and a favorite craft you know, dark beer brewery, whatever, right? Like there's all these different things. So I don't know. I just, I think it would be an interesting experiment. There's probably reasons that, that are good. And if you listeners have them, send us an email, podcast at vinepair.com. Let us know why you, why your brewery still likes to put, you know, six can or four cans together of the same beer and sell them that way. Yeah. So Zach, we're having a fun conversation today. Uh, And that conversation is about lemon. Yeah. We're going to take lemons and make, a podcast out of them. So if you read the site, you know that we've talked a lot about lemon uh, in the in the recent past. Uh, and lemon is a flavor and lemon is the big flavor that we're going to see uh, this summer and probably well past this summer. Uh, and basically, primarily in seltzer. Um, but I'm, I want to have this conversation because I'm curious you know, to sort of think through where this could take us just in other drinks. Like how does lemon potentially translate into wine has lemon translate into other cocktails into certain styles of beer so to to lay our conversation out for us right so a year ago or so truly hard seltzer decided to come out with uh truly hard lemonade seltzer right so still seltzer i think a lot of people like in the drinks business like ha 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 that's so ridiculous like truly is going full circle like from from being the head seltzer like basically you know ripping off mike's hard lemonade which makes white claw you know like insider people thought it was really funny like what is truly doing and they debuted this this seltzer lemonade and it just exploded from the get and it quickly became you know one of their top selling skews i think now it may be more successful than even their you know their traditional truly variety pack Lots of flavors of lemonade, right? But always a lemon is the core background. And now you see everyone else fast following, right? Bud Light's coming out with lemonade flavored seltzers. Uh, White Claw's doing its own. Mike's Hard Lemonade is about to come out with a Mike's Hard Lemonade seltzer. Uh, <laughs> Corona, everyone is following lemonade. And so we started looking at this and realizing, you know, maybe there's something here. When you look at all the data, it, it's very clear. Out of out of citrus flavors, lemon among Americans is the most popular flavor, right? Yeah. So, and, and the seltzers have keyed on this. Now, maybe this is seltzer and lemonade is, is the perfect, you know, pairing. But I think it's interesting that like, you know, this, this, and, and I think it's, it's specifically lemonade, right? That this, this sort of like lemonade flavor has come out of nowhere and is all of a sudden, or maybe didn't come out of nowhere, but it's all of a sudden going to be pretty ubiquitous. So, Look, I mean, there's your, we're going to start to see lemonade hard seltzers all over the place. We already are seeing them. Lemonade is becoming this this thing that has gone from like sort of what we think that kids drink at their lemonade stand to now a flavor that adults are are you know across the board embracing. And and I'm curious, like where we th- where where we think this is coming from, and yeah, what we think, how we think this is going to impact the wider world of drinks. 
So as far as the question of where it's coming from, I mean, allow me to do some very amateur uh, psychology here. Yes. I think one thing that we, we've talked about a lot since the start of the COVID pandemic is, you know, how, em- how much our emotions play into what we want to drink. And I think we talked a lot last year about how things like, you know, tropical ingredients, lime, uh, that kind of stuff was going to be really appealing to people because it was going to be this year where, you know, it was summer and it was, you know, nice out and it was, yet people were not necessarily just trapped at home. I mean, they were able to be outside, but travel was not an option for most people. You know, there was a lot of this sort of desire and longing to to travel virtually. I think what's different about coming into 2021 from 2020 is that we are way for one, much further into the pandemic. And I think what people want and maybe projecting forward what they're going to want are flavors and and experiences that are, you know, feel like a return to normal. And that's not to say that by summer it will things will have returned to normal, but I think in some ways the longing for lemonade is really about, as you said, the sort of childhood innocence of the lemonade stand, the the flavor that goes with it, the comfort and the familiarity. And the fact that lemon, even more than than lime or, or orange or grapefruit, is such a versatile and at times can be almost a, you know, like the, the ideal background singer, and but can also take the lead. And I think that like that to me makes a ton of sense as like people are going to be still in this weird sort of not totally back to normal state, but but people are going to want that that comfort and familiarity that I think lemon provides that even, even something that we consume lots of as, as Americans like orange or, or lime just can't. Yeah. I, I actually, I think that's really insightful. Thank you. I feel like, yeah, I feel like there is this, this desire to sort of return to childhood and, and it's interesting. Like what is it about lemon that is so much more desirable to consumers than lime, orange, et cetera. So when we started investigating this, right, we started looking at, you know, trends data and things like that. And when you look at just like the flavor as a whole and people's interest in it, the the search volume for like lemon and lemon flavored things is off the charts compared to grapefruit, orange, lime. And that was surprising to me, especially because lime is the key ingredient in the most popular cocktail in America, the margarita. So I would have thought that lime and lemon would have kind of gone like hand in hand and that maybe we were just like having a lemon moment. But, you know, for years now, lemon has been – and lemonade specifically has been has been this thing that we're really, you know, highly interested in. So I'm it, – it's it's kind of – it's crazy to me that like this didn't happen sooner in seltzer because I, I love sparkling water and lemon. Yeah. Um, so I it's very interesting that, yeah, like this has now been this thing that like – truly did everyone thought they were crazy and now everyone's following. And so now I'm really curious, well, if this is what we're going to start drinking a lot of, or a lot of people are going to start drinking, what are the easy sort of transition beverages from seltzer that's lemon flavored to X cocktail or X wine? Well, I think that the most obvious one for me as a start of transition cocktail is the French 75. Um, So to me, there you have a lot of the components that people love in uh, you know, a seltzer, a lemonade seltzer, i.e. a lot of lemon, sparkling, it's got booze in it, it can be made a little bit sweet. 
Uh, but it's going to feel like a like a fancier drink. It's got sparkling wine in it instead of sparkling water. Uh, it's got gin in it, so it's got a little bit of an additional dimension in terms of flavor. But it is also a great cocktail in that a little bit like a mimosa, you can kind of go to whatever ratio you prefer. It's a really flexible cocktail in terms of the ingredient proportions. Um, you know, some cocktails, especially citrus-based cocktails, can kind of get out of whack if you're not careful. And obviously the French 75 can go wrong. But, you know, if you want to even make it with some sparkling water as well, so it's not quite as boozy, because obviously with gin and sparkling wine, it's going to pack more punch than a, uh, the equivalent volume of, of lemonade seltzer would. But th- like that to me is, is just a, a no-brainer. I also wonder, and here's a cocktail that I kind of love that, my God, I get shit for for saying I enjoy it. But you know what's a really good cocktail when it's well-made? What? Is a motherfucking lemon drop. <laughs> and like, because it does the exact same kinds of things, right? It's got that beautiful tartness from fresh, le- if you make it with fresh lemon juice, it's got some sweetness to it. I personally don't go for the sugared rim, but I get why people do. Uh, you know, it's vodka, so it's a nice kind of clean cocktail. It's just like, it's such a straightforward but delicious drink because fundamentally, and this is the point in some way, right? Like lemon plus a little bit of alcohol or a lot of alcohol, depending, plus a little sugar plus water, whether sparkling or not. Like that is just a outright delicious flavor combo, and you know it doesn't kind of matter, you know how, you know how dated that cocktail is. I still kind of like it. Do you think that that's a cocktail that's like kind of just hurt by its name? Probably. Like I also wonder, like, is that, you know, I think the reason that people also love this, like these lemonade seltzers, and we're not all running to Mike's Hard Lemonade. Is Mike's Hard Lemonade? We kind of all remember as that really sickly sweet kind of almost like country time lemonade. You remember the country time mix? Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that like we liked as kids, but like, we're not, we don't want to drink something that sweet as an adult, but we still like the like lemon flavor. And that's why I wonder like if the, if, if the lemon drop kind of suffers from just thinking that it's like going to be that sweet sort of lemon candy. Yeah. As opposed to like, you know, a squeeze of citrus across, you know, in, in a glass of, of sparkling water, which I think is interesting. And that's what I've, I've wondered a lot about those, like what those cocktails could be. I, I do wonder too, if it's just, if it's, you know, as you said, it's, it's more of these gin. Like I wonder if, yes, I know it's made with lime, but I wonder if you will see some version of a lemon esque gimlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think, I think to me that the thing that's, that's interesting here is one, you're totally right that the name hurts the lemon drop. If it was just the lemon martini, people would probably order it a lot more often. And uh, I also think that that you're right that like maybe some of this could either spill over into or could be kind of co-opted. I mean, I don't think there's any reason you couldn't make essentially a gimlet with lemon juice. It would taste a little different, but still, I'm sure be delicious. I also wonder, Adam, and I'm, I'm curious of your thoughts on this. You know, the one of the other areas that I think about lemonade in cocktails is like the well what i always called the john daly like essentially an arnold palmer so you know iced tea lemonade and then with booze and that had like a huge like we had a big craze in the restaurant industry a decade ago for that like that was a cocktail there was a bunch of like it was the heyday of like there were like sweet tea vodkas everywhere and like that and lemonade was like for a a summer was our best-selling cocktail um which was great because it was super good for cost like it was not an expensive drink to make. Um, but like, do you think that is also something that we're going to see a lot of in, in this year? You mean just like spiked lemonades? Well, but I mean like like that combination with, with iced tea, 
right? Like that, that. I think, dude, I think, yeah. I mean, I, so, so that's the other thing that you're starting to see now is that I think a bunch of people are putting out these sort of hard seltzer teas. It's funny. Everything is seltzer, but also everything is like what it already, already was. But yeah, I mean, twisted tea that also uh, Boston Beer Co. owns. Um, I think you'll see some sort of version of an Arnold Palmer for sure. I think that that's, again, like this, it's sort of that savory, sweet, refreshing flavor that we love in, you know, in the summer, but honestly, all, all, all times of year, um, that we're kind of just giving an adult version to. For sure. Which then I wonder, so like for me, like, then where else do we go from here? Like, is there, are there wines that for people who are enjoying these seltzers will be translatable? Like, is a Pinot Grigio going to be something people look for? Because I feel like Pinot Grigio has a lot of that sort of lemon component. Or is it going to be Pinot, like a Pinot Grigio spritz where you're actually going to have Pinot Grigio like mixed with sparkling water? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that that one area that we might see um, some of this translated into, so, so when it comes to wine, I think it could be a, a good thing for something like – Pinot Grigio, maybe I think of like Chablis or like a really kind of stainless steel fermented Chardonnay as being an area, a wine where you do get a lot of kind of citrus notes. I also wonder a category that I think could do really well as like sangria, like white sangrias and like maybe wine based punches, like that kind of thing feels like, you know, you can put like beautiful lemon in the drink. It looks cool. If we're doing sort of semi back to normal outdoor gatherings. Like I feel like we're going to see a big summer for that kind of like things that feel festive, right? Like, ah, uh, we can actually see our families again safely maybe because everyone's vaccinated hopefully. And like, that's the kind of thing to me where like that, because like, it's not just the, the accessibility of lemonade and lemon flavor that is going to drive so much of its popularity, although it's also that, but it's also like, you know, like it, it's, it's widely available and like, it does just sort of play with so many different flavors. I, I don't know that I would say like, here's a wine that is really lemony. I mean, there are certainly some out there. I'll, I'll continue to think on this, but, but definitely like things that incorporate wine and lemon. Yes. I think will definitely be big. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think, I just think, you know, we all need to keep our eyes on lemon. <laughs> I feel well, my, like- my big question is, are we finally going to get past the like issue people had with putting like lemon wedges in their beer? Cause I, my wife and I have had arguments about this. My wife has oh. finally admitted that she was like influenced by big beers advertising that you don't put fruit in beer. I think fruit in a wheat beer is fantastic and is like the point of it. And, and I think like, we're going to see some, uh, some, some like wheat beers, hefts, et cetera, that, like desperately need that that squeeze a lemon or that lemon wheel or whatever in them, um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm on on my own here. What do you think, Adam? I think you know. I think you will see some people, but again, I think it will only be you know maybe the really light shandies. I think the, the that's the another thing, good one. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that we are all sort of need to also recognize about why lemon's taking off in the way that it is, is that these, uh, these seltzers are all really light. So like, I'm not, I'm not telling people to run out and make their own version of Mike's Heart Lemonade. Um, well, while that is still a successful brand, I think, you know, the reason that we're seeing success is because it is more of a lemon flavor that 
is similar to, you know, a bottle of Pellegrino with lemon in it, that, and maybe a little, obviously a little sweetener, than something that, that tastes syrupy um, or heavy. And I, I do wonder if, like, that is a problem for the beer and that some of those beers could still taste heavy to people. Me, but so I think, I think you will see some of it, though. I mean, I think Narragansett has a really successful lemon shandy. Um, and and that potentially will do even better this summer. Um, again, like there's been there have been brands that have had these lemon flavors, so it's been there. It's just like you're watching everyone with the seltzer craze rush in, uh, in a way that like you haven't seen like one flavor really dominate um, in a long time. And I wonder my my last kind of thought on this, and I'm curious uh, your take, Adam. Are you? I look at this and I look at this, especially the kind of pivot to something like outright lemonade as opposed to like lemon flavor, right? As like also this interesting potential evolution point in seltzer where something we discussed when we did an episode about seltzer with Erica last year is, you know, at some point the seltzer market is going to grow to a point where it starts to to fracture or bifurcate or something. And some people are going to go in the direction of like, what we really like about this beverage is it's relatively light it's carbonated it's you know it's very easy to transport and store and and all that and consume and maybe we're not as deeply concerned about whether it's 70 calories or 90 calories or 110 calories and we care more about the flavors and that might lead you to some of these lemonade flavors where you know if it's if it's going to be a little bit sweet it's probably going to have you know, a higher calorie count than one that isn't. And obviously there's still going to be a big part of the market that's really interested in most calorie possible, like all about, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, yeah, whatever, quote unquote, clean drinking something or other. And I, I see this as being an example where, where one path for this is, you know, to make a, a thing taste you know, reasonably like lemonade, you got to put some sugar in it. Like it's kind of unavoidable. Um, and and do you see this as being kind of a sign of this this fracturing? I do actually, I do because it's like it's 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 going to be one or the other. You know what I mean? I think I think you're completely right here. Because like we did, an, I did an interview for next round with um, a couple of women who are putting out a like a tequila based sort of bottled sparkling cocktail with fruit juice in it and like we didn't talk about specific calorie counts i know they're kind of concerned with yeah. cleanliness generally or like you know uh, pure ingredients things like that but i think like that's a that's a drink to me where you're like you look at that and you go the person buying that cares about how many calories are in their drink but they're not making their decision based solely on that they're, they're obviously going to be influenced by presumably you know more intense flavor or superior flavor or however you want to think about that. And like, I think that that is, you know, like the race in, in heart and seltzer for a while was, you know, how do we get to a, a really low calorie count? How do we yep. splash that on the label? And, and that was the, the initial audience for that. But as it's grown and grown and expanded to people who maybe like, you know, me are not deeply cautious or concerned about the exact calorie count. I mean, <laughs> obviously not. If you look at what I tend to drink, <laughs> um, then like the, what matters is more the, the, the flavor. And yeah, I don't want it to be syrupy, but I might want my lemonade hard seltzer to taste like lemonade to some extent and not essence of lemon with some booze. So I do think that there is going to be some of that, but the market's going to be nowhere as big. Yeah. I think 
what is driving the this entire movement and the lemon movement for the refreshment in general is the calories. And I think there will be niche for some of these other products. I think I know which one you're talking about. But, and yes, there will be health halo niche, I guess is what we're saying, right? There'll be other health halo bugs. People are like, but those people will not be, will never see the kind of sales that these other products are seeing because also, and this is where it gets interesting the people who are purchasing these products for calories, you talked about this before, right? They're not purchasing them to drink one. They're purchasing to be able to drink six or seven on a Saturday afternoon and not have guilt because they only consumed six or 700 calories. That's a good point. Right. And so that's the difference. And that's, that's what's driving these, you know, these mixed case packs. We actually talked about at the beginning of the show. Like it's those mixed case packs get, get finished in one sitting. Yeah. Now it's a group of friends. It's not one person, um, but it still is. They're drinking through them and they're only consuming 250, 300 calories. That's and, a good point. And I don't know like what the cal- – I, I always forget off the top of my head like what the calorie count in like a you know, IPA is, but it's a lot more, right? Yes. It's, and it's so, two to 300 calories usually for a 12-ounce. Well, right? And they, can, and they had three. Yeah. So that's, that's what is happening here. And, you know, it's – the people driving it, which I think is so interesting, is such a mix, right? It's like young college age kids who this is this is what they're drinking. Um, we talk about this having conferences about this down the road, but like it's what they're drinking instead of like light beer. It's people who are really sort of focused on exercise, right? So who want to be able to go drinking with their friends, but don't want to, uh, you know, ruin the Peloton ride they took that morning. Uh, right. Yeah. So like, they don't want to sort of say like, I don't want to regret it. They don't want to just fill in those calories, right. They want to still burned more. Uh, it's a lot, which is really interesting of, uh, late thirties and forties aged individuals, men and women. Uh, right. So this is not a category that's being driven just by one gender again, for the same reason, right. As you get older, it becomes harder to, to burn calories. Right. So, but you still want to be able to you know, 40 is the new 30, 30 is the new 20. Like you still want to be able to hang out like you used to. And so people are looking for these like low calorie options. And I think, again, that's where the, that's where, that's where you will achieve scale. Now that's not going to be important for everyone, right? Not everyone, not every business wants to be multi, multi multi-billion dollars. Some people are much, are very happy being a multi-million dollar business. Right. And some of these other interesting brands will be that, but you know, they they won't be the ones that I think would ultimately then be something that like a ABI or a constellation or whatever is looking for for acquisition. Yeah. Um, They're looking for these mass brands that are like just seem, you know, incredible depletions. So, you know, who knows? But it the whole the whole lemon and low calorie thing, man, it it seems like it it seems like it's gonna be everywhere this summer. So let's get ready for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, start polishing up my uh, lemon drop recipes. I guess, dude, share it with me. I will. It's very simple. It's just tasty. It's all <laughs> cool. All right, dude. Well, I will talk to you next week where we're gonna have a, have a fun conversation about some TikTok drink trends. Your, man, your favorite freaking cat topic to t- discuss TikTok. I cannot escape it with you. I know. I know. So I will see you right back here next week. <laughs> Sounds great. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.